Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 40 of the Benzo Free Podcast. You know, I feel like I just spoke with you. <laughs> Since this is a double header, I did just speak with you. Well, either way, it's great to be in your company again. I-, I truly hope this episode finds you feeling well, or at least just a little bit better. Last episode, I spoke about the CNN special on benzos, and I sent out a welcome to any newcomers who may have just found us. Well, if you're listening to this one, then thank you so much for coming back. I haven't shared things about my life lately. So much going on with the podcast, I sometimes forget to just connect. And so many of you have told me how you enjoy that part of the podcast. And, well, I, I have to admit, I do too. Things are good here. Bear, my dog, is doing well with his treatment for cancer. And we're really hopeful that he will be with us for a while longer. Shanna and I have company coming in town from Texas. A good friend of ours, Jen, is coming to visit. I just love it when friends come to visit. And family, too. But between you and me, especially friends. (laughs) My recent wave of symptoms has eased. And I'm very happy about that. I'm still struggling with some anger and a bit of depression now and then. But that's normal. And that's what my tools are for, right? You know, I've had some amazing emails from some of you lately, including some wonderful discussions about coping techniques, about returning to the real world, and even about the hopelessness in the middle of it, and just wanting to know when it will all finally be over. I've said this dozens of times on this podcast, and I'll keep saying it. Your emails keep me going. Thanks for providing the continued spark, which lights the fuel, which keeps the benzo engine running. Terrible analogy, right? (laughs) If you turned off the podcast right now, I wouldn't blame you. The other thing I'm working on is this upcoming road trip. And I'd like to share some of that with you really quickly in our intro. In early November, I'm starting a two to three week road trip to the Southeast United States. This trip is part vacation and yes, part work, meaning the podcast. I received some amazing feedback on the Kansas City trip episode I recorded, and and I'm truly excited to try this again. Much like Kansas City, I will record thoughts along the way about the trip and places we visit, and most of all, about how protracted withdrawal has affected my travel. But in addition, as I've hinted in previous episodes, I want to meet some of you. I'm a face-to-face kind of guy. As much as I love our emails, I love talking with people face-to-face. And perhaps even I can record a few of you for the podcast. 
In fact, I think this just might be the start of an ongoing aspect of the Benzo Free Podcast. I love traveling, and I can think of nothing better than to meet with each of you and wander around this country or, or even this globe. Yes, you know, perhaps we'll even take this internationally in the next year or two. I, I would love to sit with some of you overseas and hear your stories too. Yes, these are grandiose plans, I'll admit, but I, I really feel it is the right direction for us to take. So enough of the perhaps one days. Let's talk details about this trip. I, I leave um, Colorado in early November and head for Kansas City to visit my folks for a few days. Uh, if you remember, I had to cut my trip short there last time when Bear was diagnosed with cancer. Many of you also know that my father has Alzheimer's and my mother is his caretaker. So despite my past history, I'm trying to visit more often and spend more time with them. Well, I still have them. Then I pick up my buddy JB from Kansas City, and we drive to Florida, and probably get in a little bit of golf along the way. Now, for any of you who listened to episode 20 of the podcast, you may realize that D is visiting Florida, and maybe there's this one place he's going to go visit, and if you're thinking that, you know me too well. If you didn't hear that episode, I should let you know that I am a diehard Disney Park junkie. I love the theme parks, Universal 2, and, and visit them whenever I can. So yes, we will head to Orlando. During that time, Shanna will fly down and join us. Another friend will fly down to join us, and JB will fly home. Then, and here's where the story finally ties back to Benzo Free... Shanna and I will start driving home, and we're going to take the long way, on purpose. In fact, we're not going to have a big plan in place. We're just going to wing it and wander around on the way back to Denver. This may take us to any sort of places like Georgia or South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, I don't know, Ohio even, Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, and yes, back to Colorado. We'll leave Orlando on Sunday, November 17th, and may take up to a week to make it back home. We will intentionally keep it flexible. Those are often some of the best trips in my experience. So here's the thing. If you live anywhere along that route and would like to meet up at some point during that week, let me know. Even if you already let me know before, do so again. I'm, I'm organized, but only somewhat. I can't lock anything down in advance, but as things get closer... I will keep in touch with you, and if all the stars align, we'll get a chance to say hi in person. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to meet with three or four of you along the way home. That would be awesome. And if you don't want to be recorded for the podcast and just say hi, that's fine too. No pressure whatsoever. Well, that's the plan. Well, more like lack of a plan. <laughs> Sorry that I can't nail down any appointments until probably a day or two before. We just don't know which way we will head yet. And weather might also change our route. It is November, so who knows what will happen <laughs> with snow and storms and everything. So if you want to meet up, let me know on email or on the feedback form. You know, not sure if this is going to work or not, but like so many things on this podcast, we're going to give it a go and see what happens. I hope to see you along the way. 
And today we will alter our format again just a bit. We will have our introduction, Benzo story, feature, and moment of peace. But we will skip our mailbag today for a time due to the interview. I promise it will be back next week. Our feature today is conversation with filmmaker Holly Hardman. This is part two of our two-part interview with Holly. She is the director and producer of the documentary film As Prescribed. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you might want to check that out before you listen to today's. It's in episode 39. This episode has been released on the same day as part one of the interview, so it's a double header. That means there will be no new episode next week, but we will be back in two weeks with all new content. This also gives me a bit of a hiatus so I can prep some new ideas for the podcast, schedule some new interviews, and even update some sections of our website. And don't forget, I still need feedback, as always. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions, or even the name of the boat from the movie Titanic? Hmm, I feel like I should know this one. Anyway, this is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was designed to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback, or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. Or comment directly on the podcast blog itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzo Free podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you're listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Okay, let's move on to our Benzo story. Today's story is from Robert in San Diego, California. This is a hard story for some to hear, so I, I wanted to preface it again with a trigger warning. Robert speaks of addiction and suicide in this story. I, I realize that some people are triggered by some of these topics, understandably so. And if you choose to skip over this story, I completely understand. But for the rest of us, I believe it's a story and a subject which needs to be heard and we need to talk about. Robert writes, Hello, D. I've been listening to your podcast and wanted to reach out. My story is similar in many ways. I am 13 months into protracted withdrawal, and I'm better, but haven't recovered yet. It's been horrible. The reason I'm writing is that my story differs in a couple of ways that may be helpful to share. I'm an alcoholic. When clonopin was prescribed, I had been completely sober for 17 years. The MD that prescribed the drug was aware of my substance abuse issue, but my anxiety was so severe, we did it anyway. Many medical professionals call benzos a drink in a pill, as it affects the same receptor sites in the brain so my body thought I was drinking three or four shots a day. The doctor's opinion in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous states that any alcohol in the body of an alcoholic initiates a predictable result. It triggers the obsession of the mind, unique in an addict, as well as the allergy of the body. The result was predictable. I relapsed, which brings me to the second part of why my story is a little different. The relapse involved a suicide attempt. 
where I combined the alcohol with 90 milligrams of clonopin. I survived, but the last seven years has been a storm of psych meds, ECT, TMS, IOP therapy, etc. It may be helpful to share this story in one of your podcasts. I understand there is a reluctance in the benzo community to be labeled an addict, but some of us are. And secondly, suicide is something that I think needs to be discussed more openly. It's not understood, and the ignorance is costing people their lives. Certainly, suicidal ideation has been and continues to be a part of my recovery. And I find that stress triggers the damaged nerves in my brain, and the symptoms of withdrawal emerge in such an intense way that it triggers the need to drink. I'm fighting. I'm not drinking every day at all, but I'm not sober either. The people in AA don't understand. I don't fit there at this point, and so support from a community is lacking. I'm going to get through this. It's going to take some more time, but I expect it to continue to be hard on both me and my wife. Perhaps my story will help someone who's dealing with the same issue. Thanks for the work you're doing. Robert. Thanks, Robert. That's, that's a hard one to hear. Th- thank you so much for sharing this story. But most of all, thanks for your honesty. Suicide is a difficult topic to talk about. But much like Robert mentioned in his story, it's one we need to talk about more often and more openly. And we're not going to shy away from it here. And we'll have more focus on this issue in coming episodes, I promise. Some people in Benza withdrawal have committed suicide. And others have attempted it. And others have thoughts of it. In fact, I've been working on a team with some people who have found some new evidence linking suicide rates and benzodiazepine use. I can't elaborate on it yet here, but I hope to soon once it is released publicly. We can avoid this topic. Lives can be saved. And if talking about it might help, that is what we should do. But it also needs to be handled delicately and professionally. And I promise to try and do my best to handle it in that method. As for me during withdrawal, I never had real suicide thoughts or, I guess, suicidal ideation. But I I did come to the point where I understood how someone could. I wanted it to end, but something kept me going. My wife, my family, my friends. I wanted to stick around longer and spend more time with them despite how bad this was. Soon after I started this podcast, I realized that I knew very little about suicide, and I thought I better learn something. So a local church held an evening class on QPR, and I took it. QPR stands for Question, Persuade, Refer, and it's a program designed to teach some basic tools to handle suicidal situations. An article in Psychology Today stated that QPR is like CPR, but for mental health emergencies. The author of the article said the following, 
What's really interesting about this approach is that you don't have to be a mental health professional to use it. In fact, QPR is designed to train anyone how to offer hope and take action when they are concerned that someone may be at risk for suicide. I'll put a link to that article in our show notes and for more info on QPR if you are curious. Much like CPR, this training can save lives. Even with that being said, I am not qualified to handle suicidal emergencies in a professional manner whatsoever, and I have to be careful with that. If someone tells me they are thinking of committing suicide, I will always try to refer them to a professional who can handle that properly. And I beg anyone out there who is considering suicide or knows someone who might be thinking about it to get professional help immediately. You know, we have a list of suicide prevention resources on our website from all around the world. In fact, I just set up an easy-to-remember link to that list, which can be found at benzofree.org suicide. And if anyone knows of any additions to this list, please let me know, and I'll be happy to add them from anywhere around the world. But, but let's get back to Robert's story. Rarely is life nice, neat, and wrapped up, you know, with that perfect little bow. Life is messy, damn messy. And for those who are dealing with benzodependence and withdrawal, it's never the only thing we're dealing with. Some of us have chronic mental health problems. Some have anxiety issues. Some are polydrugged and have been prescribed three, four, five, even eight separate psych drugs at the same time. Some are out of work or all alone or on the street or in a toxic relationship. Some have abuse in their history. Some have OCD or a bipolar or have paralysis or any other of a thousand complicating factors in a human life. We are messy. And the unavoidable fact is that rarely is benzo withdrawal just about benzos. Robert is an alcoholic, and that addiction complicates his life and thus his withdrawal from benzos. I wish him the best in his healing, and I am so grateful for his courage to share his story here. For those of you who prefer we use the term dependence for benzos in our podcast, I agree especially since that most often is the case. This is an important difference to note, and one we will continue to clarify every chance we get. But addiction can also be a factor with benzos, even though it may not be the most common one. Those who suffer addiction on top of dependence need our help even that much more. Whether you are dealing with dependence alone or with addiction and dependence, or polydrugged, or anorexic, or struggling with severe depression, or separated from your spouse, out of work, or have too much work, or addicted to binge-watching The Bachelor, or even The Kardashians, or the NFL, or the World Cup, or WNBA updates on your phone, or, or with any combination of complications from thousands of possibilities that can be addictive or become obsessive in your life. These things complicate life. And every one of you is welcome here. I'm so sorry for what Robert has gone through and his struggles with suicide, addiction, and dependence. I, I wish you well, Robert. And I really look forward to our continuing emails. I've enjoyed them. Thanks. 
And don't forget, we still need stories. I have a few in the queue right now, but I would always be happy to have more. Just go to our feedback forum on benzofree.org slash feedback to share your story or send an email to podcast at benzofree.org. Now, on to our feature. Today, our feature topic is conversation with filmmaker Holly Hardman. This is part two of our interview with Holly. If you haven't listened to part one, please do so first. It might make more sense that way. Today, we are just going to continue our conversation, just as Holly starts to talk more about her film, As Prescribed. So, yes, and as prescribed in our... Yeah, so tell me about about the film and, and what the direction yeah, is. Yeah, we're and... in post-production now. Okay. And when I say post-production, we still have... I need to film four, basically four more scenes. Okay. Um, and basically, like, wrap-up information to really tag um, a few people's stories. And one of them is going to require two little sections. One is an, an unknown. If we can get this person to be interviewed we're going to drop everything and make sure we can interview this guy um the other is in the san jose california area that's Mm -hmm. a a troubling story and um that's just a story we'll be finishing up probably this month this month or november and then we have somebody in new york we've decided to expand on a story it's just like this if we don't, there's just this question that people are going to have. So we need to answer that question. So we're working on um, sort of like actually in pre-production mode for exactly how we're going to make that happen so that it is effective, you know, so that audience will say, aha, okay, that's what's going on. So it's not, it's not like a a regular sit down interview kind of filming. And then um, possibly one more quick drop in and out of um uh i don't even want to say where it is somebody that's okay yeah no problem yeah and um because i there that's where there's some privacy issues i don't want to even understand and then i'm sure that complicates a lot of things along the way with with the filming process sometimes yes okay um so we are in post deep in post-production we've got over an hour of a rough cut edited but th- so the reason we know we want to do these wrap ups is because we know so much, we're so much clearer on what the narratives are, you know, yeah. the, the, the narrative. And then of course we're doing people's stories within. So they're sort of disparate, but it should all blend. You know, the, one of the tough things with as prescribed is when I started this production, I was going to try to keep it to just like three people. Okay. And I just, this is going to be tough for the film and we're going to get criticism. Um, I didn't think I could serve the bigger story. Well, if I just kept it to these few people and kept sure. their stories sort of like in, in yeah. a vacuum, because it's so much more complicated, mm-hmm. this whole thing, it's so individualized. And so, so we're taking a bit of a risk by embracing more stories within stories and we just hope we do it well enough so that people are like, yeah, we know why they did it like that. We, we, we like that. We like that choice. Um, yeah. And then one of the, of course I'm always struggling to raise funds. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. I I know you had some, first of all, you started filming what about five years ago and I know some of the questions you get is why, 
why so long? I just thought that might be something you might want well, to address. I think if, you know, people who are asking me that question, they're not documentary filmmakers. Exactly. And they're, yeah. they're probably not familiar with what goes, really what goes on to make right. most doc, a doctor, documentary film like as prescribed because there are lots of documentaries i mean that are on youtube even on netflix they have um sort of talking head a lot of talking head documentaries and i think that's what people expect from us and that could be done i think so i could have had that out in a year you know i know um and we decided i mean i knew from the get-go that's not the kind of film i wanted to make from the get-go i wanted to make a compelling film that would lure in outsiders i wanted to make it interesting enough so that outsiders who might not care about benzodiazepine dependency iatrogenic injury would just want to learn about something kind of fascinating and wrong and a social issue that needed to be paid attention to and told in a way that um, was convincing and um, inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't do that with a talking head. Let me tell you what it is. Well, I I think, I think you kind of, you mentioned it quite well, which is with the kind of the YouTube generation, we do expect things to be put together quickly. And um, yeah, the reason I was playing devil advocate when I asked that question was because I, I mean, I've, I've been on films that weren't documentaries that took us 10 years to get made. Yeah. So That's it's, it's, it's just, too. yeah, this is the standard in the film industry, yeah. but yeah. so many people don't understand that. So I wanted to, I wanted to help you, you know, address I, that subject. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Dee. Yeah, it's important. Um, and it, it is hard to communicate that. Yeah. Um, so it means the world to me that you just did that. Oh, no problem. I can't tell you the number of times that I spent three years writing a script <laughs> even yes. before I even got, you know, greenlit to start to go to production. And then production yes. was another two or three or four years. And, and, yeah. and it, it winds up, you know, being stopped for two years and on pause. And then it picks yeah. up again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just the business. Um, and yeah, it's just good to let people know that there's a timing issue here and it takes time. And we've kept production and post going um anyway you know we, i never i never felt as though with this project i could project i could just drop it and then get back to it yeah. i have been steady with it but it's still going at the pace it needs to go at Good. and um and it's i've been having a heck of a time raising funds for it that's kind of interesting you know yeah let's let's talk about that for a little bit so where do you get your funding from and and how's that going for you I think the Benzo community in the past has been, you know, sort of online people who can make smaller donations. Mm-hmm. They've been great. We've sometimes raised as much as $5,000 in one, you know, campaign. Yeah. Um, and that just doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Um, I, I, I'm not sure why that is. Mm. I feel bad about it. Um, I wish we could do something like that again. But some of the larger money I thought we were going to be getting um, just hasn't come in. There are very few people of means in this world because most have lost all or at least some, yeah. you know, they just, they don't end up where they started off. And the few people that oh, I have connected with when, when it comes down to it, the, they wanted the film to be about them, you know, <laughs> it just I understand. Kind of, okay. No, no, I get that. 
Yeah, they they have an idea of the narrative that they want you to take and and they don't mean it. You can tell they they'll say no, no, I don't want this to be about me. And then the next thing you know, it is. <laughs> and I've had that happen at least three times with okay. at least three people who could have just taken us all the way home with yeah. you know what we need. Well, to and, and you said it perfectly before. This is just too big of an issue, and there's there's too many variances and people have different experiences you can't tell it yeah. through one person that's that's what i've determined and and the, if the thing is i can't you know you know how it works especially for like pbs and a lot mm -hmm. of organizations and even film festivals if they see that one of your big donors is in the film that's an immediate like no that's yeah. a conflict of interest you're, exactly. you're, you're you're not you don't count you know yeah that's a nice thing about documentary film you have different ethics that you have to follow that for the for the rest of the film community we don't have to follow them as quite as much as you do yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah if you want to be in that world of like the top film festivals and everything yeah there are business practices there are. that you yeah. adhere to and yep. it just makes we make better documentaries that way i agree and let's talk a little bit, if you if you don't mind, about the Massachusetts hearings. Um, you oh, filmed, sure. I think, a couple different ones of those. And how did that go? Was it difficult? And and what what type of the, how does that feed your your story and your your documentary? We filmed three of them, and then one on the opioid um, crisis with oh, benzodiazepines good. brought into the conversation. Okay, let's back up real quick and say and say what the Massachusetts hearings were about, just in case people don't know. Okay. Um, one of the people we've been filming, and then another one who's joined us, um, who started, joined us as we went along, it's Geraldine Burns and Sonia Seibler. Seibler, yeah. They are, they are involved with um, advocacy for mm -hmm. legislation in Massachusetts, basically asking something pretty simple, tell people about the dangers Tell people about the risks. Yeah. So, so informed consent type of informed yeah. consent, something along those lines. And and this um, when I first the first day I interviewed Geraldine Burns, she brought this up that she wanted to have this legislation. Mm -hmm. She said, and now we've got this film, and like we can get attention. And and um, Representative Paul McMurtry came over, and we sat in her living room and filmed him talking about, yes, I think I'm going to be able to do this. Um, so the next thing you know. In January, they filed, and um, we filmed the actual filing, and um, then there was a hearing in April of that year, a snowy April day, and people still made it to the hearing. It was not easy yeah. to get there, and that was probably the most emotional and most vocal and most sort of exciting hearing. Um, that was the hearing in which this, like a panel of six total, I think, psychiatrists from the Mass Medical Society came in and spoke out against the legislation. Mm -hmm. But so many people who knew what benzodiazepine injury was got up and spoke about their own history, about their members of their family, and it was effective. Um, and then next session, and, but it was sent to study nothing happened with it you know I the know. Uh, mass medical society was so successful and um i don't want to say too much but no we're, we're still protected you know as members of the fourth estate and freedom you know the press right. so to some degree but uh, this last here this film the hearing we filmed it was in just September, a little yeah. i my rights were taken away from me and that's okay. another that's something i don't know if i 
want to um, address that, what I want to do about it. I'm okay, just, understand. I understand. Yeah, so just say we were not treated the way you're supposed to be treated if you're just collecting okay. information to so you have a record of the truth. That's what we're supposed to be able to do in a public hearing. Right. And the, um, the heads of the committee took that right away from us. We, we were very much restricted. The last two hearings, the last hearing was a, a ridiculous restriction. Okay. But, you know, you, you take what you can get under the circumstances. I didn't want to fight it and lose everything. And then two years before, they were, it, it was fair what they wanted to do. There were people who did not want to be filmed. And basically, one of the psychiatrists who came back, who didn't want to be filmed. And it's like, okay, I get it. Um, yeah. I won't, I won't argue that, but they still positioned us in a, in a sort of a restricted area and, um, but they were nicer about it. Um, <laughs> and that they were so much nicer about it and little bits of swaying from that didn't alarm them. But this year it was a different story. Now, the thing is, I'm sure we'll use some of the footage from this hearing. I don't know how anybody could have listened to, the benzo survivors speak or, or victims and and not be moved and there had to be something where every member of that committee on some level please you know listen i'm not so sure one of the things that we found kind of disturbing was some of them didn't seem to be paying attention uh, um it, that's the thing in the yeah. other hearings the the uh, the committee members were listening they were engaged they were asking questions that did not happen this year. Um, hmm. I almost felt as though the Mass Medical Society might have already gotten the word. And <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I thought that everybody speaking in support of the bill, um, all of them, they were um, articulate. They were moving. Um, I, I was impressed and I was grateful. Um, again, do I think it's going to make the next round? Maybe not. But I think legislation takes years and years and years. We just keep going. It's going to take a long time. It is. It does feel like the media is starting to catch on to the what some of them call the, the other opioid, the next opioid scandal. And Which I think we have to be careful of. I know because, we do. Like, yeah. So I, I always have my little, you know, argument. I have, yeah. I have that that friendly argument a lot with people about let's not, let's not. I agree. And that's what kind of, that's kind of why I mentioned it because I think that it's, it's, it's not accurate, you know, and this, this is yeah. different and it's, it's, you know, again, it's not usually about addiction. It's about dependence and it's about so many different factors. And injury. It's about disability. Exactly. Injury exactly. And, and so we, d we don't want to get caught underneath them without differentiating Right. How different this is and, and how big this is on its own. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Different animal. Different yeah. animal. But do you, do you feel, though, the media is catching on a little bit that there's that we're starting to gain some momentum, do you think? Or... Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And when I, you know, talk to people now about, like, when I, when I first was making the film and I would talk about iatrogenic dependency and injury and people would not know what I was talking about. And they might not know iatrogenic at this point, but yeah. they understand the concept much better now of just being hurt by a prescribed medication. That's become accepted, um, an accepted concept. And working off of that, 
is um, promising. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Can I, let me ask you a little bit about the interviews and the people you have spoken to. What have you, what commonalities or what have you picked up from them? And, and what have you learned from all the different people and organizations and physicians or whoever you've spoken to? What has this filming process taught you or have you, have you learned from this process? The need for change, okay. if that's what you're asking. And just how individual this experience is that we have to be really careful not to say, well, it's like this. And this, this person did a taper like this. So that's the way to do it. Yeah. That, this person had this symptom and that one didn't, you know, we're all different. This one recovered. Well, that one didn't. There's a reason why. And we usually do not understand the reasons why, but just accept, accept that we're different, accept that if we're doing, oh, one thing I will say that I think yeah. is a truth that I see with people who actually recover. Um, and this may sound trite, but diet. Really? Good. A diet is key. Okay. You can't continue, you know, because our systems are so devastated yeah. that in order to bring it back online, it, it's, it has to be gentle. What, what commonalities in diet have you found that you think has been helping the people the most? I would say that it's more like resetting the gut, you know, healing the gut okay. is the basic thing. And I, there's not, for, there's probably a different way for different people. Um, but look at it like an autoimmune issue and mm. think of your healing like that. And um, it's key. Um, what's hard is the food is expensive. And yeah. it's, of course, I'm going to say, you know, I don't want to say it requires organic because people can't just do organic. They don't have access. They don't have the money. Um, but try. Okay. And, you know, with, with if you do paleo, grass-fed meat, that sort of thing, if you can, if you do eat meat. Um, and grass-fed meat can be very helpful for those who digest it well. But it's so much about what the benzodiazepine has done to our gastrointestinal system. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get that under, you know, healed, it becomes very tough to fully recover. Or when I say fully recover, maybe we mean like 90%, because that's 100% to me. And I really, yeah. I still mean that. Yeah. Well, and there's so many GABA receptors in our digestive system. It's amazing. Yeah. That, that link, yeah. that that brain, the vagus nerve and the brain gut connection. Yeah. I mean, we're still learning how tied that is to each other. And it's still startling people how closely linked that is. And oh, I think that's yeah. a great topic. Direct connection. Direct yeah. connection. So, so we can't yeah. avoid diet, you're right, when it comes to mental health or when it comes to recovery from you know, yeah. a, a brain injury like benzodiazepine. So that's great. And of course, lifestyle. We, you and I know how much meditation helps. I mean, there, yes. there are choices can, people can make for lifestyle that, you know, you don't want to say, it's not an edict, but you can say, try some of these things that just may, might make enough of a difference where it's worth it. Every little bit helps. So yeah, yeah I yeah. try to keep telling people it's mindset. And if you can find a way to reduce your anxiety, just like you said, diet, I think they're both equal, but if you can find a mm -hmm. way to reduce anxiety, that aggravates every other symptom. Yes. If you can find a way to control that and bring it down and just have a few tools that help you reduce it, it reduces your overall experience. 
just think of how difficult it is to think of reducing anxiety when you're tapering. Exactly. It's you can't reduce anxiety when you're tapering. Well, no, you, really. you, you can to a degree. It's, it's, far more, it's, well, it's far more difficult, but if you can take it from 110 and bring it down to yeah. a 95, it's still an improvement and it still yeah. helps. And I, that's what I I'm trying to say. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There are, there's just some subtle differences and it's worth it. That yeah. little bit of a, of a less, less horrible, less horrible is better than most horrible. Exactly. And, and during this time, every little bit helps. And that's, that's what I was trying to, yeah. I it's like microcosmic. Oh yeah. 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 Oh. So do you, ha what's, what's the next plans on, on the movie then? I know you mentioned that you're still wanted to get about four, you think four different things still shot and. Oh yeah. And then we have, we were, we were working with an artist for animations and it just didn't pan out. Oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, I'm rethinking that, um, hearing from other people, reaching out to other people, hoping we can get that back on track because that needs to happen. We need these animations and they're also very expensive. When, when you say that, I, I think, and again, for people who aren't in the film industry, when you say animations, what do you mean by that when you, when you're saying, you know, funding for, for animation? There are a couple of reasons why I want them. Okay. One is because I think it's very difficult to communicate how horrible the experience is. And okay. I'm hoping that a couple of our animations will help to illustrate that horror. And then I also for there we don't want to, I don't want to have a talking head documentary, but we still want some facts. Sure. And we want to bring in some of that information in what will still be a visually interesting and engaging way. I like through it. animations. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's hard because people I think a lot of times we often think, well, just a talking head's great. And you mentioned that a lot. And I know in the industry we talk about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> because it I mean, films, documentaries, any film can be boring, you know, and it can be when you yeah. just have the same thing, static image, you have to add things. Our attention spans are not very long these days. Right. <laughs> you right. gotta get people engrossed, you gotta keep them involved. And so yeah, I, I understand the animation part, but I just thought that was a good thing for you maybe to elaborate on for for the other listeners who may not understand why that's part of this. We also, it's also making a bit of art too, real craft. And we want it to have a certain lyricism. Exactly. Yeah. You're telling a story. That's what we're doing is we're telling a story and you want to tell it the most engaging and most clear and most entertaining way you can. This is true. Yeah. This is true. The most effective. Yeah. We want people to walk out or, turn off their laptops or whatever and think we want to we care about this these yeah. people so we care about this cause and we get it we get it this is important this is not something we should just say it's just like the disease of the day kind of thing it's just let's make it the disability of the year and then <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Like yeah, let's this, let's get the let's get the con the public conversation going. Let's yeah. really get it going so we can really make change. I agree. And as prescribed, it's going to be an, an amazing tool to facilitate that effort. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you've done. I can't wait to see how you put it all together. Um, and I hope that we can also have you back at that time too when we okay. when we finally yeah. release and everything. We can help you promote whatever we can do. You know, we're happy to help here at Benzo Free. I mentioned about things you learned and, and you got from, you know, different people and in interviewing, but if you had mm -hmm. advice to somebody who's just starting their taper or in the middle of taper or having a difficult time, but people who are severely in distress with withdrawal. To, to keep, the, to keep faith in the okay. process, just, and ha, and 
find support. Um, that might just mean finding a couple people on Benzo Buddies that you connect with. Try to keep it positive. Yeah. If you know in the Facebook groups, go into the Facebook groups that are positive. Try not to get involved in the negativity. Um, exactly, and that's that's a that's a trick there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a trick. It is a trick. Um, just believe. You know, b- believe in the process. Other yeah. people who have been as sick as you made it. They Excellent. Did. Absolutely. People who have been cold turkeyed and it's an utter hell that they're living in, but it may take longer, but there is a healing that is at a certain point, just little yeah. things to kick in. And you see it, I've seen it over and over. People who, at first, when I was first making the film and I was getting to know some of these people, I was thinking, this is impossible. How do they get better? They don't. They do. And then I started encountering people and staying in touch with people who said, you know, I actually turned a corner. I'm actually starting to feel a little like myself again. And I'm not tortured 24 hours a day. I'm still tortured, but it's so, um, yeah, I've seen remarkable, um, um, recovery. My, my very first interview was Elizabeth McCarthy and she cold turkeyed off 10 milligrams of clonopin. Oh no! And she's recovered. I mean, it was hell, yeah. but she recovered. Right. She's doing well now. She's working with Good. other people, and so I love that you said there are people who have had it worse than you and have come out of this okay. Yeah. You know, and it's. Imp- I just want to make sure we get that message too, because so many people have have lost hope. Try to find other meaning in life, because especially you know, it 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 often doesn't take a year or two. It can take years, and in that in that period of time, just try to see what any little thing that might get yeah. better, just any little thing. And, and life is worth it and, and stay in gate and allow this experience to enrich you mm-hmm. in some way. Cause if you can find that on some level, that can be life sustaining too. That's perfect. And just yeah. remember, don't give into the benzo lies. The benzo lies will tell you, you know, it's all, you know, the whole suicidal ideation, lies, lies, yeah, lies. Um, Benzo lies are evil. <laughs> Don't listen yeah. to them. Yeah, I often talk about our, our irrational brains and our rational brains. And our irrational brains, you're right, are telling yeah. us it's hopeless and it will never yeah. get better. And we yeah. have to let that rational brain kick in and say, no, no, that's not right. That's just my broken brain you know, trying to convince me of something. <laughs> yeah, it's like this chemical thing. When I when I had suicidal ideation, I would say I would I could feel it was like chemical. Yeah. This was not a thought. This was just some one of the strange symptoms. One of the one of the worst symptoms. The key word I found through I think it was a Pema Chodron book or something was ineffable, and I love that word now. You know, basically meaning you can't explain it. Yes. Yeah. And benzodiazepine withdrawal is ineffable. It's just, you can never be able, you'll never be able to relate it to somebody else completely. Just as we may never be able to relate to somebody who's in severe distress that you are going to get better. (laughs) You know, it's. And I guess at this point we have to say in order to, and we don't need to. Yeah. But if you can find a beauty in that. Exactly. Exactly. Just the word itself. It's such a beautiful word. I know. You know. I yeah. like the word elusive, you know, there's just, yeah. just things to find. Um, it's funny, but you can end up where you can end up finding satisfaction. And we need that when we're going through this, oh, I we know. need any little drop of good yeah. we can find. 
and hope. I agree. And I, I really appreciate your, your message today, Holly. It's been, it's been so nice talking to you. I want to, before I close here, to remind people about um, getting more interest in your movie and funding. Where do they go if they would like to donate to the movie? I think the simplest thing is just to go to our website. Okay. And our website, asdescribedfilm.com, there is a donate page. And on that donate page, there are two means of donating. Some people um, can take a, a tax deduction. And if that is their preference, there's a link to our page on Women Make Movies, our fiscal okay. sponsor. So Great. they can do that and they will have the, um, the tax deduction. Okay. Now, if people don't care, and a lot of people don't, especially for smaller contributions, sure. just going straight to our donor box site, which is secured by Stripe, um, that goes directly into the Gabo Films account, okay. and we help. It helps to pay the editor. It yeah. helps with some of the filming that we do. I mean, I'm there's so many costs associated yeah, with making so a film. Many. It's I ridiculous. Mean, if, people, <laughs> if people have specific questions, they can email yeah. me at either hollyhardman88 at gmail.com or hellogabo at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, because sometimes if people are thinking of donating, they want to have, they might be interested in something specific and I can earmark things because uh, there are so many um, expenses. And, um, you know, it's nice. We've gotten a couple of grants uh, that's been oh, helpful. Good. And we have yeah. had some, some really wonderful people of means who have given us some substantial donations. So that does happen. Uh, we just need more. <laughs> I totally understand it. Yeah, it's yeah, like I, like we were just saying, the cost of making a film is ridiculous, and it's so hard to 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 estimate what it is. So it's good that people can, if if you're if you're believing that getting the word out about benzos or about awareness or just helping more people know what's going on is important. I think this is a great cause and a great place to help you know help out Holly with her film and help this get you know completed and get out there and 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 get promoted so that more people see it. Um, it's such an important message to to tell. And and I'm just so grateful that you came on our show today. Thank you so much, Holly. Thank you. Thank you. And I would love to return. I, I'm sure we'll be doing that here in a few months. It'd be great to have you back. We'll get a status of how things are going and we'll 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 keep abreast of everything happening. Perfect. Great. All right. So be well <laughs> and thank you. And thanks to all. Thanks, thanks to all who are listening and um just know that we're all in this together. Many thanks to Holly for taking the time to speak with us today, and most of all, for dedicating so much effort to this film and helping raise awareness of this issue. I truly look forward to having her back as the film gets closer to release. Take care, Holly, and, and we appreciate all that you do. And now, before we move on to our moment of peace, let's stop for 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal or professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. 
Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. And please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we will return to our listening meditation. This is another standard meditation which I have found quite effective. It can be done either in the standard sitting pose or via walking meditation if you prefer. There is no mantra for this one. All you have to do is listen to the sounds around you. And do so without judgment. In fact, you don't even need to identify them. Just hear the sound. Enjoy the aesthetics of it. And let it soak in until another sound arises. That's listening meditation. I hope you find it enjoyable as I do. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And listen to the sounds around you. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to listening. No judgment whatsoever. Continue to do this for one minute.
Our next episode is episode 41, and it will be released in two weeks. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.